up, everyone? You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Season 8, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. On today's episode, we feature author Tom Rayner and talk about some of the challenges and opportunities that churches are facing now in a post-quarantine world. Bobby does such a good job introducing Tom, so I'm not going to say much more here other than this clip was taken from a show that we ran inside of our discipleship.org collective. And to find out more information about that, what it is, and how to get involved for free, go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up so you can start catching these shows live when they happen on your computer. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm so glad that you're able to join us today and have a very special guest. Uh, He's not only special because of his area of expertise, but uh, he has a special place in my heart uh, because of uh, something I'll tell tell everybody about in just a second, uh, going back several years. So my guest today is Tom Rayner, and uh, he is the founder and CEO of Church Answers. That's churchanswers.com. And we are going to start off talking about his book, The Post-Quarantine Church, and then we're going to move uh, into a very, what I hope will be practical conversation around disciple making and discipleship. Just a little bit of background about Tom. Uh, He has written like 36 books. He served for many years at at, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, as the Dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions and Evangelism. And that's how I got to know him. I was uh, 18 years ago, I completed my Doctor of Ministry where Tom Rayner was the mentor of my Doctor of Ministry project. And it was such a delight to be with Tom and and, uh, to be one of his students and to learn everything that I could from him. Well, subsequent to that, he became the CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. And then in recent times, uh, his ministry has focused on church answers. So, Tom, uh, welcome. Thank you for being with us. And uh, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about churchanswers.com. Church Answers, and thanks, Bobby. And by the way, having you as a student, one of the most uh, oblique and vague words that you can say is interesting. Whenever you say interesting, you're trying to deflect what you're really saying. (laughs) Having you as a student was an interesting time. It was really an interesting. <laughs> now you can take that any way you want to. That's the way I'm going to. That's the way I'm going to frame it. Uh, Church Answers is an organization that, in many ways, I had planned to start. Believe it or not, Bobby, right after you graduated from Southern, uh-huh. I had planned to, and a, a number of events led up to not doing that direction because my wife. Uh, got very sick with a cancer that we thought would take her life, but God spared her. And then after that, Lifeway called. So there were a sequence of events that delayed uh, what has ultimately been, I think, a God-sized dream farming, which is uh, uh, Church Answers. Church Answers has a very simple purpose. We want to help churches get healthier, and we want to get help church leaders to get healthier as leaders. And so that's the simplicity of it. There are multiplicity of resources. One of the things that we do that um, was not in original plans, but has become 
really what God has kind of put his hand on as much as anything, and that's certification to be a church consultant, for example. And that that way, the ministry is multiplying. There's a lot that you can look at. I don't want to be a sales catalog for Church Answers, but when it's all said and done, you can go to churchanswers.com. And uh, about 90% of what we do is free. And if you're interested in that, and then the other 10%, you can look at as well. But thanks for allowing me to talk about Church Answers. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I want to encourage it. I believe in it. In fact, uh, um, Tom, I think you were telling me a couple of weeks ago, you get, how many uh, people do you get posting on churchanswers.com, like on a day, a daily basis? I think I gave you the bragging rights number, Bobby. Okay. So let, let me clarify. I gave you that about 250,000 churches connect with us in a year. Does that sound like the conversation that we yeah, had? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you you can you can and you can make that weekly or per day, uh, but not not necessarily. We get we get more views than that, but I'm talking about unique churches. So um, there are 350,000 churches in North America. Not all of our churches are North America. As a matter of fact, we are increasingly moving toward global. Uh, our out of our top ten cities that we that frequent us uh, churches and church leaders there, four of them are now outside of North America. So we're we're becoming more and more global, particularly in the continent of Africa and in Australia. Those are the two places that we are seeing a lot of traffic. So I think the number I gave you was two hundred fifty thousand uh, different churches. We have several million. Uh, views a year, so the views would be a different thing. So wow. I want to. I, I remember parts of our conversation. I was in a car coming back from seeing my grandchildren, so I want to focus too much on you. Yeah, that's that's all right. Now listen to me. You're gonna. You, you've uh, already mentioned. Uh, uh, it was interesting the time we had together at uh, Southern. So we may have to push into that a little bit later, but let's not do that right now. All right. Uh, instead, I want to talk to you about disciple making. Um, when I talked to you uh, about this interview, it uh, just thrilled my heart to hear you talk about the priority of disciple making. So let's start with that, and then we'll jump into the book. How do you feel about the priority of disciple making? Uh, the, the priority of disciple making is the priority, just as basic as that. What are we to do as followers of Christ? We're to become more like Christ. What does that mean? we're becoming a disciple of Christ. To become a more and more devoted follower of Christ is what we're supposed to do. And so disciple, not only disciple making, but being a disciple. Now, obviously, being a disciple means we multiply. And I, Bobby, when, whenever there's a debate over the Matthew 28 version of the Great Commission, uh, I cringe a little bit because there, there, there tends to be a debate on, is that discipleship or evangelism? And the answer is yes. Yes. Um, as we go making disciples, we will do the following. And so the whole idea of disciple making, inclusive of evangelism, but evangelism does not end at any type of so-called point of decision. The, the continuum is there as we become more and more like Christ and we help other people become more like Christ. So when people say, how do I define discipleship? For me, discipleship is just becoming more like my Savior, and that 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 it had, that has a lot to unload. But that is everything. That's yeah. not just that's not just oh, this is one of the purposes of the church. You can put fellowship, worship, evangelism. You can put all under the umbrella of discipleship. We're becoming more like Christ. Amen. We like to say it begins at hello, where we're leading people to uh, surrender their lives to Jesus. And uh, it, it then leads to 
multiplication as we send people out. So uh, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And, and I do think clarity on that in everything we do. Uh, of course, it's the mission of discipleship.org, but I just think it needs to be the mindset and the mission of every disciple of Jesus. So, Bobby, I, I made a decision, oh, about five years ago uh, to stop speaking at churches on Sunday. Uh, I did a lot of interims, a lot of guest speaking, and I, I got into my, the point, I'm 65 years old, I got to the point when I turned 65 years ago that I wanted to, to really just put plug myself into a local church. Part of the impetus behind it was my son Jess was starting a church in Spring Hill, south of yeah. Nashville. And, and so I was not one of the founders with him. It was people in his neighborhood, but I came on pretty soon before, even before the first launch service. And so with, with a few exceptions, when I go see his two brothers and their, their children, my grandchildren, uh, I'm there. I mean, I'm there every single Sunday. And uh, yesterday, no, not yesterday, I have to, I'm going to timestamp this and I shouldn't do this on a recording uh, that will be heard and viewed later. But the previous Sunday from when we are talking about this, um, I, I, I get to I get to the church early. One of my responsibilities is take out trash. So uh, we don't we don't have our own custodial crew. So I get there and then I go into the only on campus group that we have, uh, which my son Jess said it's for you old people um, because we don't have a nursery for it, so our childcare. So I go into that at eight o'clock and that community group lasts till nine. Then I go to the early service, which is nine o'clock and it gets over about 10, 15. And then Nellie Joe, my wife and I, we left there and we went into the neighborhoods around the church, putting on door hangers and praying for, for, for homes in that church as we went from house to house. We didn't knock on doors. We went in confrontational evangelism, but uh, we covered 40 plus homes in a, in a short time. And then we went home. Uh, I am having more fun and fun in the sense of the word rewarding, trying to learn how to be a better disciple. Mm. And, and I, I tell you what, I write about it and I talk about it and I preach about it, but sometimes I don't act it out. And so this has given me the opportunity through my local church to see what it means. So I did Bible study, I did prayer, I did service projects. I went out and did evangelism with my wife. And that's not bragging, that's just simply to say, that's, that's, that's what God wants us to do. Yeah, what I like about uh, you describing it that way is this kind of like follow me as I follow Jesus? Let's let's make it really practical and nuts and bolts. So, thanks for that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about disciple making in this post-COVID world. Now, uh, your book, the post-quarantine church, uh, lays down six challenges. I'm just going to read them, okay, uh, so that everybody who maybe hasn't read the book will be aware of them. And then there's a couple I want to uh, jump into in particular. So the first challenge is to gather differently and better. It reminded me of uh, the statement, build back better. But anyway, gather differently and better. Number two, seize, the, seize your opportunity to reach the digital world. And number three, reconnect with the community near your church. Number four, take prayer to a new and powerful level. Challenge number five, rethink your facilities for emerging opportunities. And uh, challenge number six, make lasting changes that will make a difference. So if I were to ask you with a focus on disciple making, 
which of those do you think is most important? Which one would you say? Jumping out at me, I would say prayer, uh, simply because uh, it's hard to become a disciple unless you're communicating on a regular basis with the one who created disciples. Uh, there, there's a, you know, there's worship in there, and there's 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 um, uh, reaching a community in there. But I, I would have to begin with prayer because I think when the when first church was uh, formed. And uh, they're meeting in Jerusalem, and and Luke describes in Acts two what's going on, and he said, and they devoted themselves to, and that devoted means uh, it's it's the word picture of a ravenous beast wanting to devour its prey, and they were devoted to what the apostles' teaching, to to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and then Doctor Luke says, and to prayer. I don't think that line of building up to it is incidental or accidental. I think it's like ultimate and to prayer. So right there in Acts 242. But then there's so many others there, Bob. You put me on the spot. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, I, actually, can I just stop you, though, for a second? Yes. Because uh, this has been a long-term emphasis of yours, even going back to uh, the book on church growth that you initially did, uh, where a lot of people got to know you. And then uh, um, in conversations over the years, this this emphasis on prayer, and I, I've got to, I've just got to say, that's one thing that I think delineates North American churches. I shouldn't say all North American churches, but your typical North American church from international disciple making movements. Yes, if there's anything that that typifies them different than us is the way they emphasize prayer. So, but but, but, but then, then you mentioned reaching your community. Um, Acts 1 8 is another great commission passage, obviously, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Frankly, Bobby, I think many North American churches just skip over it and say, so we're, we're, we're not going to be community centric. We, we yeah. may give to missions, we may make an a international mission trip, but uh. You know, are we really reaching our community? Yeah. What I loved when I uh, was walking in the community with Nellie Jo uh, Sunday morning after the worship service is uh, these homes were within walking distance of the church. This is the community. Now, yeah. we will spread out beyond that. But I think many churches have skipped the Jerusalem, have really skipped the Jerusalem of uh, uh, going and making uh, disciples and witnesses. You know, when I read the book, that's uh, one of the things that I was really, it really made me aware of. Like if I had to take one thing away that I felt like I needed to hear, it was to re-emphasize, especially coming back now from, uh, uh, you know, the, the influence of the virus where churches are coming back. It's like, don't just come back and meet in your building. Mm. Come back now and minister to your community. And uh, it just, it's, for me, I, as you know, I still am the lead pastor of a church, uh, have a great staff so that I'm able to focus on the things we do with discipleship.org and renew.org. But I, I got to tell you, it really convicted me about, boy, we got to, we've got to really focus on our local community. Bobby, this, uh, this may sound like shameless promotion and I apologize if it does, but it just brings us up. Uh, the resource that we created in 20 that is actually launched in uh, uh, during the pandemic that 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 again was not planned was 
probably, I, I think it is the best resource on knowing your community. Uh, it produces 50 pages of information about your community, uh, not only demographic, but psychographics, what they believe, what they desire. And the reason that Sam and I led that project is because we felt like you kind of reach your community until you know your community. Yeah. And as we were sitting around saying, what do we call this? You know, there are a lot of good demographic and psychographic reports, but we designed this specifically for practical application in the local church. What do we call this? Sam said, you know, we never have been very original. Church Answers is a pretty blah name. <laughs> Jess named his church the church at Spring Hill. How boring can that be? That has no cute name. He said, Rainer, Rainers aren't cool. We've never been cool. So why don't we call the report Know Your Community? All right, done. So that was our number one tool that we created during the pandemic, just because nope. we felt so passionate about it. Hey, Matt, Matt is with us uh, in the background uh, running the technical side of things. Uh, Matt, if you could go to churchanswers.com and put that link in. If you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, in fact, Tom, can you just uh, tell everybody uh, the exact website to go to, the, the address <laughs> to get that? I, I can get you part way. I don't know. I want to prepare. Go to churchanswers.com and click on tools. There you go. All right, if we can put that in there. No, because uh, because we defined, at, as Jesus would and Scripture does, disciple-making as including both evangelism and maturation <clears throat> or growth in Christ-likeness, if you're going to really reach people, you've got to not only know your community, but you've got to, as Jesus entered into our world, we have to enter into the world and the lives of people in our community and yes. build relationships, help them at their point of need. And in the process, invite them to, uh, you know, to be a part of our community. So like disciple making begins with the incarnation. In yes, fact, um, Tom, let me tell you an interesting story about that. Robert Coleman wrote the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, as you know. Uh, One of my favorites. In the early 60s and it sold you know, like 3 million plus copies. It's it's the gold standard, we say, on Jesus' method of disciple making. And in it, he has eight principles. Well, we did an interview with Robert Coleman. Uh, if you remember, Tom, he we give the Robert Coleman Disciple Making Award at discipleship.org when we have our national disciple making forum. Uh, and uh, so every year- He, he so comes, deserves that honor. Oh, he is such a wonderful man. <clears throat> anyway, uh, by the way, he'll be doing that this November, November 4th and 5th at the forum. Assuming he's still alive, he's 93 years of age. Uh, but let me tell you what happened when we interviewed him about the book. I pressed him and I said, okay, after all of these years, and it's getting close to 60 years now, since you published that book, if you were to uh, write one thing different or change one thing, what would it be? here's what he said. He said, you know, Bobby, I would include, I would add a principle that I assumed. And that principle is the incarnation. If we're going to make disciples, we have to enter into the world of the people we're trying to reach as Jesus entered our world. Mm. And I thought that is such a great line. Because... I it is so easy to not focus on that. 
you know, I'm, I was speaking to Matt right before we hit the record button, and Matt is in Auburn. That was uh, where Dr. Coleman's most recent speaking engagement was, just a week or two prior to where we are. Really? Yes. I saw his photo. He's in his 90s, and he's still traveling. Yeah, yeah. No, and he's, he's just a wonderful, wonderful man. Okay, so uh, let's talk about what I, I don't know of a better term. So maybe uh, with your Rainer tradition of just speaking simply, you can come up with a better term. But my term that I'm using right now is micro disciple making. And what I mean by that is like a person who is entering into the lives of other people to help them be disciples. One of the things that I think is super important is really practical strategies for the everyday person. Uh, I say this, every church needs a simple, effective, and reproducible disciple-making model. What are you seeing out there in a post-COVID world, Tom, uh, that can help people to wrap their minds around that and actually put it into practice? When we begin to talk about discipleship, Bobby, as you well know, many people automatically default to one methodology or another. They're not always the same. For some, the methodology is one-on-one mentoring and and, uh, just investing in someone's life. For others, no, it's one on a few. And uh, it's, you know, like Christ did, uh, Coleman uh, had a follow-up book called The Master Plan of Discipleship. And he talked about what Jesus did with his followers. So he said, no, it's more like that. It's, uh, it's, it's one on a few. And others say, no, it's, uh, it's, it's individual. It's getting in the word and prayer and it's personal uh, spiritual disciplines. And others will say, no, the gathered church is the most effective form of discipleship. Well, the, the, the answer is yes. I mean, the, the New Testament model is clear that the early church and the subsequent churches were involved in all of those. But if I'm talking to either a new believer or someone who is mentoring a new believer, there would be a couple of things I would say, maybe three things. We'll, we'll see how many do. Number one, uh, give them time. Uh, one of the things that we have missed during COVID is the the one-on-one in-person time. And I think you're going to see a lot of that come back. Now, I'm a classic introvert. I didn't even, other other than the horrific sickness and death, I didn't even notice the pandemic. I mean, I was by myself and that's kind of how how I liked it. But, But most people are not weird like I am. And so they're ready to get back and investing in people. But here's, here's one thing I found, Bobby. Um, I naturally gravitate toward one-on-one. And, and um, that's kind of weird for an introvert. But the more I get to know someone, the more I spend time with them. And right now I'm investing my life in three different people at the church, started in the church setting, yeah. but one-on-one, not one-on-three. And so investing in those type of people is, you know, Christ, Christ started with the few and then went to the many. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't make it formulaic, but what I do with them is we talk about their lives. We talk about their families. We get in the word and we pray. Mm. And, you know, that's not formulaic, but it is, it is, it is one of the patterns, but then others do very well with one on few others. Others, uh, uh, would say, make sure you're, you're in the word. Brad Wagner wrote a book many years ago called the shape of faith to come. The primary thesis of that book was, if you look at all the, as a research book, if you look at all the correlated factors to becoming an effective disciple of Christ, the most highly correlated is to be in the word by yourself every day. That's not to the exclusion of others. So yeah. I've given you this long answer about 
all these different possibilities. And I hope at least I touched on part of your question. Yeah, by yeah, point yeah. That rabbit trail. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, I do think we have to make it simple because if we don't make it simple, uh, church, the average church is not going to do it. It just gets too complicated. As you, as you helped many people to realize with your book, Simple Church, I think uh, disciple-making has to be simple as well. And so to focus on it's intentional, you've got to be intentional or it's not going to happen. True. So you're describing, you're intentional, you're, you're planning and you're doing it. You're, you're building a relationship. So it's intentional, it's relational. And then uh, it's a focus on the word of God. Because not just what, what the studies that Brad Wagner is talking about, before that, the reveal study said the same thing and, and all mm -hmm. kinds of studies, it all comes down to the same thing. And I'd say it's those three things. It's intentionality, it's relationships, and it's getting people in the word of God to change lives. And notice that uh, it just hit me. Um, all, all three of the guys with whom I have a, relationship or solopreneurs or entrepreneurs with their own with their own business and so my natural inclination toward helping christian business people it just hit me well these three guys have their their own business and uh, that's that that was how we started talking they started asking me for advice so we had the relational connection yeah. we probably had to because knowing what a lousy relational person i am we probably <laughs> had it had to be something that would connect us and that just hit me you're not as lousy as you say. Oh, if you only knew. <laughs> well, I think I do know some, so I just appreciate you and love you. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. Okay, I want to I uh, transition. And uh, there's something that I didn't talk to you about before we started this that I want to tie in here. Uh, discipleship.org partnered with Exponential, and we published, and this came out just before COVID-19, a national study on disciple-making churches in the U.S. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put it on the screen because I want to just summarize the, re the results. So this literally came out uh, January of 2020, and then it kind of got buried in uh, what COVID. happened with covid but uh, it was a statistically validated study. In fact, Gray Matters Research, Tom, who often worked with Lifeway, uh, led the project. And uh, I want to share with you just these results because 
I think these results are still true. And uh, my concern is <clears throat> a focus on disciple making is still uh, not going to happen. I'll, I'll explain that in just a second. But here are the top uh, results. Uh, the first one is that fewer than 5% of churches in the U.S. have a reproducing disciple-making culture. In other words, fewer than 5% of churches have a culture where the uh, average member automatically thinks, yeah, we're all to make disciples. And, and in fact, we're, there's a significant amount of the everyday people making disciples who then make disciples. What we found is that uh, there's an absence of disciple-making movement churches. Uh, again, that's going to be defined where disciple-making is viral, where you have four generations of uh, disciples who make disciples uh, in multiple streams in a church. And number three, there's a lack of commonly understood definitions. Uh, one of the biggest problems is discipleship, the expression, means everything and anything to people. And then lastly, pastors overestimated their impact. And so um, before I jump into any recommendations, my concern, Tom, is that now we're coming back after COVID-19, and I think these things will still be present unless we're conscious about it. So let me uh, get you to speak into that. The, the study is obviously sound because you had good researchers doing it and and the the information anecdotally is spot on anecdote does not prove a good research project but if you have anecdotes it certainly supports the the reliability of that uh there were a couple of points that hit me in that bobby one of those is the lack of a common uh, definition yeah one of the reasons we're not making disciples is uh just what I just said, sometimes we have this automatic default of what does it mean to be a disciple. And, and we not only have to define it, and for lack of better word, and I wish I could come up with another one, we have to process it. When Eric Geiger and I wrote Simple Church, we developed a process of discipleship. Now, is it the only process? No, but it is a process for churches to think, okay, how can our people grow in Christ? And the thesis behind it was, if you get a, if you have a vision statement that reflects your process of discipleship, it will be clearly understood. And if you have a process then that supports the vision statement, it will be eagerly implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell people all the time, simple church is not the process of discipleship. But if you want someone in a corporate culture to, to grow in maturation, and hopefully reproduction, it is at least a starting point. So we tackled that issue, Eric Geiger and I did, when we talked uh, Simple Church. We talked about the clarity, and then we talked about a movement where you could become more, more like Christ. So when I saw those numbers, I wish I could say I was surprised, but Bobby, when we look at evangelistic churches, and we, we have been defining evangelistic churches as reaching one person for every 20 in attendance. I don't know if we're going to have to dumb down that uh, in the future because very few churches are reaching it. The number is 2 to 3% of churches. Really? And then you have a 5%. And that, that number used to be whether or not the conversions were adequately measured is debatable, but that number <laughs> would be as high as 30 to 40%, and now it's below 5%. So when you have a disciple-making process that's in the 5% range, I'm saying, okay, well, that explains why the, the incarnational part of discipleship, meeting Christ in person, 
uh, is so low as well. If you're not making disciples, you're not reaching people who will become disciples. Yeah, that's right. So let me ask you this. Why, why are our definitions so poor? Like as somebody who looks at churches across the land and there's so much, you know, confusion about language, how did we get there? We programmized it, if I can use a noun that uh, has become a word, a verb. Yeah. We, we programized it. And so there would be, let's say, a denominational program that said, do this to make disciples. There would be an organization that says, do this to make disciples. There would be another one that said, one-on-one, that is discipleship. Another one, one-on-few. And so we had these major emphases on a process that was a program. And as a result, churches adopted a particular program or process and said, that's discipleship. Um, the denomination from which I came was has been notorious for that, to make everything into a program yeah. and to think that the program is the end in itself. That is what has happened with discipleship. And then uh, many parachurch organizations had a certain way of doing discipleship, yeah. all good, but they became the default way for, for many. I talked with someone yesterday and then he was insistent that uh, uh, one on view is the only way of discipleship. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say the organization's name, but I said, hey, I bet you were influenced by. And he said, oh, yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah. That organization. So we have we have programmed it. I like to say programized it because that has a better emphasis, a bigger emphasis to the point that we think one way of discipleship is the way. That's why I am very, very careful to say Simple church is a way through the local church of discipleship. It is not the way. Yeah. Our end goal is to see people become more like Christ and to bring others to him. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's, that's uh, really helpful. Let me share with you uh, for our audience. I'm going to read these out for those listening to the podcast. Uh, I want to share with you the recommendations by the way, uh, for anybody who's wanting to download this report, if you'll just do a, a Google search on National Study on Disciple Making in USA Churches, uh, the team at uh, discipleship.org will be posting it in the chat box. Uh, you can find that on discipleship.org. And by the way, we have an assessment as well that we developed with Exponential on Churches if you're wanting to see where your church is at. But here's the, the four things that we recommend. Uh, to champion clear definitions and a commonly understood language. Secondly, the senior pastors must embrace disciple-making as the core mission of the local church. Again, so much of it to be effective, you got to be simple. And if you see, like we have been talking on this uh, discussion, that disciple-making is everything. It's leading people to Christ and helping them to grow up and become more like Christ. That is the simplicity of the core mission. Uh, to develop new measures of success, and then to champion effective strategies, plural, and models. Uh, any reaction you have to that, Tom? Again, spot on. Let's just look at them real clearly. Get everybody on the same page. Clarity, number one, champion clear definitions and commonly understood languages. Number two, you have to have leadership buy-in. Senior pastors must embrace discipleship. By the way, uh, the senior pastor uh, title has now defaulted slightly to lead pastor. Yeah. For the first time that, that, that nomenclature has changed just a little bit, but whether we call it 
pastor, senior pastor, or lead pastor? I actually like lead pastor. That's good because it shows you're amongst a group of others, but you have a lead guy. Anyway, yeah. Uh, then there's metrics, develop new measures of success. A lot of people get nervous with metrics. Oh, you're, you, you're numerically focused. Uh, it's all about the numbers. My response is, okay, well, tell me to describe, tell me how you would describe what it looks like if we know we're making disciples. And if you don't use metrics, give me something that I can understand. And we usually end up coming back to metrics. So develop new measures of success, whatever that would be. And then uh, I love this, champion effective strategies and models. You emphasized it, Bobby, plural. There is not a model, a model that is out there, but this is a model that we're going to use in our church. And we're going to use it for the following reasons. And the following reasons would be one, two, three again. So I like it. That's good. Um, okay, let's talk about this post-COVID world that we are in. Um, you mentioned earlier the fact that there's such a, a decreasing number of evangelistic churches. Some of your research that I read uh, indicated that the prediction is that once we're back, fully back from COVID-19, there's an estimate that there'll be 20% 20 le 20 less people attending church than there was beforehand. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. Well, that number at best is a projection. You cannot research the future. So I, 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 want, I want to be- Thanks for that be, clarification. I want to be very clearly clear that we haven't done a great amount of research and had people interviewed in the future and to figure out what was going on. It's a very simple process. Uh, we, we, we did a very subjective, a qualitative study, and we asked pastors, uh, what does it look like on the members that you don't think will be coming back? How many do you think you've lost? That is a very broad way of looking at it. And that's where we came up with the number 20%. It's actually a little bit more, but because it was an imprecise study, uh, we said 20%. I will say this, the trends that we're watching, and one of the reasons I love Church Answers is a constant feedback loop. If someone joins the community called Church Answers, they, they're in this constant feedback loop with 2,000 other church leaders. It's an amazing, it's an amazing place to find out what's going on in the church. But as we get this constant feedback loop, we're finding that 20% seems like where it's pretty much sticking. Now, when you look at the composition of who is leaving, it's a little bit more complex. And I don't want to waste a lot of time on that. But basically, there are two, two let's put it into two broad categories of what is taking place. One is the the dropping out of the cultural christians those who in name only are christians they felt like it was important to say i'm a christian or i belong to a church and to be in order to be culturally accepted that's yeah. no longer necessary so cultural christians are fading away yeah. that group is not returning and then another group that may overlap with that is the less frequent attenders the fastest growth we're seeing right now from pre-covid to post-covid is from the twice a month attenders that big group, the twice a month attenders, is now moving into the once a month. Really? Attenders. And if everybody moved from twice a month to once a month, if everybody did, you would yeah. have half your attendance. Right. Those are the two big factors. Now, are those people that are, you know, are the once a monthers those that are trying the church out coming once a month? Are they exiting? More of them are exiting than trying the church out. So at the same time that we have this decrease in attendance uh, at church, we're witnessing a shift in belief systems. Uh, so I'm just gonna give some anecdotal uh, evidence for myself, but 
I'd like you to comment on this. So uh, in the last two weeks, um, I was with a Bible college uh, who's changed their beliefs on biblical sexuality because they're, uh, the graduate who received the award, is a, and it's an award not just for academics but for Christian life, was a transgender man who received the award with his dress, addressing his uh, dress to make sure everybody knew who had, a, who had a beard. And it was like, what is going on? Then uh, last week, uh, on Tuesday of last week, I met with uh, 10 uh, leaders of churches, so representing 10 churches in the Washington and Oregon area. And uh, they were just candid that, that they're really wrestling with, you know, gender and um, sexual roles, and they didn't know what to do. Uh, and then you just couple that with uh, a local church here uh, where I'm at, Tom. Uh, the elders of that church asked me to meet with them uh, in the same two-week period. And I sat down with them, and I realized they're trying to find a new senior minister, senior pastor. And they have don't they don't have a clue about what they believe anymore, and so we're coming out of COVID nineteen, where the culture has been out discipling the church on belief systems. You couple that with a decline in attendance. Uh, we gotta ask God to guide us to do something about all that. There are so many different points in what you just described, Bobby. First, first of all this this whole thing about the the cultural shift understand what covid did covid did not create a new cultural shift covid did not create a pattern of decreasing attendance covid accelerated it and exacerbated it so trends that were already in place have now i, I said they fast forwarded three to four years so basically anything that was going to happen in your church or in culture has been fast forwarded three to four years. I'd love to find out the both the psychological and social impo sociological implications of why, but that's the reality. That's, yeah. that's the output of, of, what, of what we're seeing here. Now, the, the, the compromise in doctrinal truth and sexuality is the big one. L let me say this. It feels like it's something new, but I, I want to give you a story and I will be brief but uh if i can but this 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 is illustrative i met a little over 10 years ago in a consultative relationship with the church and the church was really struggling and um found out in the course of conversations um they had uh, it was it was a baptist church um, their polity only called for deacons so the deacons were quasi servants quasi elders in the church and there were 14 or 15 of them, if I recall correctly. I found out that at least a third of them were involved in extramarital affairs. Mm. The pastor knew it. The deacons knew it. Most people in the church knew it. Mm. I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, we can't do anything. It'd blow the church up. My point is this. The new cultural compromise in issues of sexuality, maybe transgender, uh, it may be heterosexual, homosexuality, but this pattern of compromising with culture has a lot longer beginning to it than just what we're seeing now. We're beginning yeah. to see the fruit of it. Yeah. Now, I wrote this little book a few years ago called I Am a Church Member. Yeah. My thesis in that little book was this. 
we have dumbed down what it means so much to be a part of God's church. Yeah. It means almost nothing. We have not been producing disciples, so we have not been changing culture. This is a, we're, we're now beginning to see the fruit of something that has been developing for years and years yeah. and years. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what do we need to do about it. One thing that I liked in your book uh, is the optimistic tone about the future because it's really easy to, to look at some of these stats and have some of these conversations and uh, to lose sight of the fact that Christian hope is a reality, especially when we're relying on God and fasting and prayer and, and we're committed to trust him and, and uh, obey his teachings. Uh, so when we think about the future and we're looking to God to give us a path, what are some character traits you think will be a part of that path? And I'm thinking specifically now of discipling people in good doctrine and lifestyle. Well, you know, sometimes it helps to go back to even some of the earliest parts of Scripture to answer that question. You're, you're basically asking the Deuteronomy Joshua question, particularly uh, Deuteronomy 34 and Joshua 1. Deuteronomy 34 is the death of Moses. Joshua 1 is the transition to Joshua for leadership. And uh, what had happened, the, the, the Jews, the people, the, the people of God had disobeyed. That's basically compromising with culture, whatever you want to call it. They were not faithful. And we know the story. Most of them ended up dying in the wilderness. Some of their children and maybe their grandchildren got to go forward. And only a few of the original crew, like Joshua and Caleb, got to go forward. So the hope is this. We have been in a wilderness. We don't have necessarily a Moses to a Joshua transition, but we have an opportunity for a major transition. And what does God tell Joshua? Two things. One, do not be afraid. Mm. That's, that's one thing. Yeah. He said, I'm still here. You may have thought everything's messed up because of all these things that happened in the wilderness, but guess what, Joshua, I'm still here. What's the next thing he says? Do not deviate from the right or the left from my word. In other words, let's get back to our mm -hmm. belief. And as we enter this promised land, this literal promised land, as we cross over the water, you have a new opportunity to start over. The message of COVID is you have a new opportunity. And that is both biblical and sociological. Biblical is the most important. We always have a fresh start, whether it's personal through Christ's forgiveness yeah. or whether it's corporate, through what has happened now we have the opportunity for a fresh start yes i am calling this era that we're in more than the post-covid or post-quarantine era i'm calling it the blank slate era mm. and this is an opportunity to write anew what god's church should be and we can have our part in that does that mean our churches may be smaller for a season i'm not advocating reducing our size as an evangelistic strategy but it may as you begin to take a stand for truth, as your new member or your entry-level classes, whatever you may call them, makes clear the expectations for being a part of God's church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you preach truth, if you have uh, groups, small groups that teach truth, it may winnow them out. But here's the reality. Many of these people who are in our church were not among us anyway. They've departed from us, but they never were of us. Mm -hmm. And so 
we have we can accept we we should not embrace a smaller number but we can accept it for a while because that is going to get us to the point of strength as we move forward the message of hope is that this is a new era and anybody that's not taking advantage of it is just not seeing what god is putting before us let's 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 move forward there are not many churches right now that uh, have an attendance greater than than um, uh, 2019 pre-COVID. But I'm just going to, uh, I'll brag on church at Spring Hill and my church. Our attendance is now larger than it was in 2019. It happened to be that this pastor, whose last name is Rainer, <laughs> and happens to be my youngest son, was convicted that he was not leading the church well pre-COVID. Pre-COVID gave him a chance to reset as a leader. As a consequence, the church is resetting as a leader. And we are seeing three things that are rising to the top. Discipleship, prayer, evangelism. Those are not mutually exclusive, obviously. But you know what I'm saying when I see those, yeah, when yeah. I say those three. What is happening? We're, we're reaching more people for Christ in, in the five-year history of the church. A lot of people have left the church. But a lot more coming in and saying, there's something that is happening here and I want to be a part of it. The message of hope is Joshua 1. Hey, yeah. it's a stink old time from Le Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But now Joshua is here. And, you know, what does Joshua mean in Hebrew? Jesus, God saves. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think I just preached and I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no, that's good. So just. Uh, you were saying there's so much behind what you were just saying. I want to mention a, a couple of things. So, uh, first of all, you're saying uh, the importance of prayer, reaching lost people, a real commitment to discipling. <clears throat> and then you also mentioned about, you know, raising the bar on what it means to be a member. Uh, you've written quite a bit about that, Tom, and you're going back to your book, High Expectations how high expectation churches that are not legalistic, Correct. but they're, uh, they're grace-filled and yet uh, asking for a culture of, I call it obedience-based disciple-making. In other words, obedience uh, to the teachings of Jesus to raise the bar on membership, and then that helps raise the bar throughout the church on what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus and a member of the church. I finished a book just before COVID began. So I did not anticipate a pandemic. And it's it's really my update on all of these issues and COVID didn't change it what one bit. It's called Where Have All the Church Members Gone? That will be a, a 2022 release. Okay. So we're still doing the study. <laughs> okay, good. So uh, what we're saying coming out of COVID is uh, faith in God, uh, a realization that there's probably going to be a winnowing out in many places. We double down on prayer and fasting, on serving and reaching the community. Uh, we double down on membership and what it means to be a disciple. And we project an optimism that we're trusting a God who saves, who resurrects the dead and who will lead us into the future. Um, I want to add one more thing before sure. our time comes to an end. Because last week I was in Austin, Texas, uh, with uh, uh, Renew.org, was with a group 
Exponential. You're familiar with Todd Wilson mm-hmm. Tom, and, and the Exponential team. And we're at Hill Country Bible Church, and Tim Hawk is the lead pastor there. And we sat down with Tim Hawk, and pre-COVID, they, their average attendance was 6,500. And we sat down with Tim Hawk, and he told us they're radically changing everything they do as a church now. And here's uh, what they're doing, and, and here's why. What they're doing is they're changing the whole focus of their church to family disciple-making, and they're reevaluating all their systems and methods of family disciple-making. And here's what Tim told me. He said, we are convinced that the best way uh, to engage the future is to disciple our children for a world in which, as true disciples of Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. And so we are realigning everything around Deuteronomy 6, and that is to help parents move from dropping off their kids for children's ministry or student ministry to parents engaging more with their kids and the church engaging parents more in a multi-generational disciple-making focus on the home where Deuteronomy 6 becomes a reality. Deuteronomy 6, I call it the Great Commission before the Great Commission. It's uh, where uh, Moses says to the Israelites, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Shema. And then he says, these commandments that I give you today, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, Tie them as symbols on your hands, on your foreheads, and on the door frames of your houses. So what Tim Hawk told us they're doing is they're turning with a laser-like focus to discipling children to grow up in a world uh, where they will not be at home as followers of Jesus. So having described that for you, Tom, what's your reaction to that? I will be fascinated to see what's happening, what will happen with that. It certainly, certainly resonates. Uh, I, I would want to know a little bit more about how you do that in a mobile society, how you do that as the children begin to leave the home. Because in, in with the people of Israel, the, the children and the grandchildren were always around. So yes. it sounds like it's going to be. It's, it sounds like he is owned to something and that, you know, I, as, as I was talking to Matt before we came on here about his uh, micro church approach, those are one of the things that I want to follow closely to find out what is going to unveil there and find out more. Oh, that's good. Well, uh, Tom, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us. In just a minute, I'm, I'm going to give you the last word, anything you want to share with us. But uh, want to encourage everybody, again, churchanswers.com. Also, uh, the study that we were talking about, the National uh, Study on Disciple-Making Cultures, which you can find at discipleship.org. Want to draw everybody's attention to the November 3rd, I'm sorry, November 4th and 5th gathering uh, in the Nashville area at Brentwood Baptist Church for our National Disciple-Making Forum, which will be on the topic of the cost of discipleship. and. it's just great to collaborate with uh, like-minded individuals where we're all aspiring to help the local church become more and more proficient 
on all of these things. So Tom, before we close, I'm just gonna turn it over to you for any last words. There is a motto at the church that my son pastors slogan, just a, a, a part of a sentence. It actually is a sentence as we say again and again, uh, because everyone needs the hope of Jesus. It's, it's our motivation to get into the community. It's our motivation to love one another. It's a reminder to me, Bobby, again and again, that we have a great opportunity before us. I am not just a pie-in-the-sky optimist. I don't have false positivism in terms of my theology. <laughs> I just have the Bible. And everywhere in the Bible, there, there is hope. There is also tough times. There's also wilderness periods. All of those are there. But Bobby, as you can imagine, our team, I talk to a lot of church leaders, pastors in particular. They're worn out. Some are giving up. Some are moving on. And, and I understand that's not a judgmental statement. Uh, everything that was uh, happening before COVID became exaggerated and exacerbated with COVID. So now many of the fights that were going on, the titles just changed. We're no longer fighting over songs. We're fighting over masks, or we were. And we were, we were fighting over social distances and whether we gather or not. The church just, it, it, it not only frustrated pastors, it made them weary. My word to church leaders, whether you're a pastor, staff person, or even a lay leader is, this is a blank slate. Mm. I don't know how long this door is going to be open, where biblically we know that we can walk into this promised land, but sociologically we know that change receptivity, which we didn't even talk about, Bobby, is at an all-time high from what we mm. can see and openness. So now is the opportunity to walk in, walk through this door. The final word that I would say is this, multiple studies that we have done, we have found that there are very few anti-Christians out in the world. Culture would tell you there are. Yeah. So much of the laws and so much of uh, what is what is on the newscast would say there's an anti-Christian mentality. There's really not. Um, there, there is neutrality. There are questions, but Matthew, Matthew nine is is just so so true for us today. Jesus didn't say pray for people to be saved. He said, pray for laborers in the harvest field. Mm, that's true. And why did he say that? Because it was a harvest field. And what was said in the early 30s AD has not disappeared in 2021 AD. If we will just simply be those workers in the field, God will bring us the fruit and the harvest and watch what he will do. It's a new opportunity. Let's go seize it in God's power. stuff from Tom Rayner there, especially that bit at the end. That was just awesome and so inspiring. Hey, before I close off and you skip to the next episode, I want to remind you November 4th and 5th in Nashville, Tennessee, we are hosting the National Disciple Making Forum again, and it's going to be an awesome time. So make sure you go to discipleship.org and sign up and purchase your tickets today because you're not going to want to miss out. Hope to see y'all there. Have a great day.